So this is our second part of guarding the gospel. We're called to guard the gospel, the good deposit which has been entrusted to us. We see that as the gospel, the life and calling upon us. So today we are going to go through verses 8 through 18. As we go through these passages, I ask that if you're taking notes, that you would begin by putting this first thought here, that if we are to guard the gospel, then it means that we are together for the gospel. We are together for the gospel in this room. Church, we've come together for the gospel. Not for any other means, but if you look to the person to your right and to your left and across the way, and as you're seeing me up here, most of you I would not know if it would not be for the gospel. So we are together in the gospel. So let's look as Paul, who is sitting in a prison cell, chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, knowing that at any day he could get the call where he will go stand and receive judgment and he will be condemned to death, he will be beheaded, but he is unashamed. And here he is writing to Timothy, his last letter. He's sending it out to Timothy, his beloved his son in the ministry. He loves him so much. And, and here's what he's writing to him. We continue here as we pick up in verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He said, hey, we're together in the gospel. So number one, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So you can imagine there were many who had turned away. In fact, as we read later in this passage, all in Asia had turned away. And so Timothy finds himself isolated, maybe feeling alone. And, and people know that he is a preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. So there would be those who would speak against him to say, where is your Jesus now? This King of Kings, Lord of Lords, that died on a cross, that was supposedly buried, nobody can find him now. Yeah, man, you're crazy. And he's saying, Paul, Paul is saying to Timothy, look, Man, don't lose hope in that testimony. Because therein lies your hope. And if you're ashamed of that testimony, then you're ashamed of the gospel. And if you're ashamed of the gospel, it's pointing that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have hope. And so he encourages them, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And Jesus himself, in, in John chapter 10, refers to himself as... The good shepherd. In in verse 10 of John chapter 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus brings life. And not just any kind of life, but abundant life. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he makes it clear that he is the shepherd and there are sheep in which he's going to lay his life down for. And then later he says that the sheep know his voice. In verse 14 he says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. And in verse 15 he says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. But here's why Timothy should not be ashamed, because of what we read in verse 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. 
This charge I have received from my Father. So when Jesus came, perfect in nature, no sin found within him, and he goes to the cross, he willingly gives his life. He gives his life. Nobody takes his life from him. He gives his life, and it was by his authority that he was raised up from death. And he said, Timothy, do not be ashamed of this, because Jesus knew what he came to do. It's this foolishness to the world who wants to see and touch and hear their gods. But Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So yeah, he's not in the tomb. Do not be ashamed of his testimony. And he says, do not be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Isn't it interesting that Paul refers to himself as his prisoner, as God's prisoner? I mean, Paul had before referred to himself as a slave of righteousness. And here he's saying, I am God's prisoner. I'm not Rome's prisoner. I'm not Nero's prisoner. I'm God's prisoner. Because the reason I find myself in this cell is because of him. And I'm okay with that. I'm not ashamed. There's no shame for suffering. We're together in the gospel, Timothy. I find myself in this jail cell. I know that my days are limited, but do not be ashamed that my life is to come to an end soon. Because I'm living on throughout all of eternity. What I preached is true. It's good news. So people are going to say, hey, where's Paul? Where's Paul now? Yeah, he preached all through Asia. We don't see him now. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. He's chained up in prison. Yeah, we see how his message carried through. He's saying, hey, they can say what they want, brother, but don't be ashamed. And so church, may we learn from this, that we're not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, and we're not to be ashamed of the church. Is it possible that you can love Jesus Christ but not love the church? I think so. There's people who who want to follow Jesus, but they want to follow Jesus by themselves. They don't want to be around other followers of Christ. And yet, so they neglect the church, the church that Christ died for. So today, you may find yourself loving Jesus, but not loving followers of Jesus. In fact, followers of Jesus just simply get on your nerves because they don't do ministry the way you do ministry. They don't think with the same doctrine that you think. And so you kind of put yourself to the side and and you kind of look at all others with disgust. Maybe you haven't realized that until just now. But Paul's saying, hey, don't be ashamed of the followers of Christ. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Both hand in hand, we are together in the gospel. Maybe some of you today will go eat lunch. Uh, Let's just be honest, we're all going to eat lunch, right? And you go to a restaurant and... Another couple goes with you from this local church and you sit down and one of you is going to speak up and you're going to talk to your waiter or your waitress and you're going to say, hey, thank you so much for serving us. We're we're about to eat our meal and we would love just to pray for you. You, You've done such a great job. Is there anything we can pray for you about? Don't be the person that sits in the corner and as soon as they start talking about Jesus, you start looking out the window because you feel uncomfortable. You ever been there? Oh man, hey, 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 come on now. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about Jesus all morning. Do you really have to talk about Jesus here at the restaurant? They don't want to hear about this. How do you know? How do you know that they don't want to hear? How do you know that when they share Jesus at that time, it may be at that moment that the word pierces their heart and God is calling them and boom, to salvation. Don't be ashamed. Don't cower down to step aside and say, you know what? Hey, save it for later. Maybe you get embarrassed when people share their faith in public. But maybe it's conviction that's in your heart because you're not sharing your faith in public. Paul said, I'm in in jail, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of that. For you yourself one day may find yourself in jail, dying for the sake of Christ. Let us not be ashamed, but let us be together in the gospel.
Next, we are saved and called. If we are to guard the gospel, that means that we are saved and called. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. So Paul goes right back to, it's not about works. Jews, they they base their their life, their relationship with the Lord on works. He says, it's not about works. Just as he uh, he penned his first letter to the Galatians, to the church of Galatia, he said in in chapter 2 of verse 15, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also, we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So he ends his last letter, or he writes within his last letter what he wrote within his first letter. It's not by works, but it's by faith. It is by grace that you are saved. And it's because of his own purpose and grace. The reason that you are a follower of Jesus Christ is because of God's purpose and grace upon your life. And then we encounter a very difficult part of Scripture here in which we may have some differing views on this, but as your pastor, here's where I I stand on this. It changes nothing of spreading the gospel. But he says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The purpose and grace of which God has established for our salvation was placed in Jesus Christ before he ever said, let there be light. God knew that you would be a follower of his. In fact, he chose you. He set you apart. Paul uses this language and he uses it strongly also in other letters. When he says in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, when we get to this part, there are a lot of questions. One question that comes and says, well, what's the point? If we're chosen and if we're set apart, then why even share the gospel? Because salvation is being worked out from past, present, and future. In the past, God set us apart in Jesus Christ. In the present of what we live right now, we must understand that we have finite minds. You hit a ceiling. I hit a ceiling. There is a mystery to the gospel. There is the sovereignty of God to which I do not dare approach that I stop and say, at this point, I trust in his sovereignty and his call upon my life that we are to go and preach the gospel. That people hear and follow and believe and are sealed with the Holy Spirit when they hear the gospel message. In fact, we see this within Scripture. It's not just my opinion coming at you, but Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
There is a sealing of our salvation when we repent and believe. So church, what should we be concerned with when it comes to the grace and the purpose of God's will upon our lives? Is that we repent and follow Jesus Christ. You can try to divide and we can form camps. And we've already said that's not what we're going to do at Perimeter Road, to, to draw a line and say, here's where you must stand. But that we must be faithful in preaching the gospel. But understand, there is comfort in this message. What brings confusion for us when it comes to heated debates of doctrine, that's not why Paul's writing to Timothy. He's telling him this so he will be comforted in a time of suffering. He's saying, hey, this didn't just begin. God didn't just think of this. And you didn't arrive at this on your own. God set this apart for your life, Timothy. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. By His grace, this should bring comfort to your life that no matter what you face, we're together in the gospel and that you will know you are saved. Saved from what? Coming destruction. Death. As we, as we read on, he says that, and, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. So what was set apart in the beginning, Christ comes and manifests himself in the physical flesh. And he carries out this plan of salvation through the cross and rising from the grave. And this is what happened. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He abolished death. We see death in three forms. We see that we have a physical death. All of us will die a physical death if we're not around when Jesus comes back for the church. We are bound for a physical death where it happens early in life or later in life. It's all tragic. It always hurts. You've heard people who've given testimony. Maybe they've had a relative who has who struggled with some sickness for years. And they knew that at any time they could pass away. And when it happens, they're just so broken. And it leaves you thinking, but, but you knew it was coming. But it doesn't make it any easier. Physical death is always difficult for us to comprehend and deal with. And so we will still die a physical death because of sin. It has corrupted this world, which means that we can't last here on earth forever. In fact, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be restored, a full restoration. That's good news. But it's hard for us because we love this place, right? We settle down in here. We have our roots here. But Christ came to abolish death, knowing that we would still face a physical death. But there's a spiritual death in which we take on from Adam, in which we are spiritually dead. We are separated from God. We are hostile to God. We are enemies of God. All of this language which Paul uses as he's penning in the New Testament. You're separated from God. And if you're here today and you have not repented to follow Jesus Christ, you're a sinner doomed for hell. And that is so real. So many other things seem like reality around us, but what is most important is you're standing before God. And you are separated because you follow in the same pattern. You come from Adam and you have this sin nature. So there's nothing good in you. There's nothing good in me. We have all that together. We have that all together in common. But Jesus Christ came to abolish death so that you didn't have to be spiritually dead anymore. And also there's an eternal death which will take place when those who are lost in their sins, who are separated from a holy God, when they stand judgment before God one day, they will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth throughout all of eternity. And God will never call it quits. God will never say there's halftime. And at this point, if you're thinking, God's so unfair, God's so 
unjust, what does God really owe us? He is a God of love. And so he sent his son to abolish death. That is his love. That is the way and the truth and the life. There's no other way. And if we think maybe if people just don't hear this message, that they'll be okay. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And he abolishes this death so that Christian... You can be called out of the darkness into the light, out of death, and you can live not only just now for the gospel, but live throughout eternity with Christ and reign with him. He abolished death. He saved us. That is us being saved. We use that term many times. Hey, I'm saved. But that's what we're meaning when we say we're saved. Today, are you saved? Do you have life in Jesus Christ? There's life in none other. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. But not only are we saved, but we are called. Church, hear this. We are called. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. At the moment when you were saved, you were also called, set apart with a holy calling. Which means your life should look and act differently. Right now I'm reading a book where a a, a man who used to be a Baptist is now... Uh, of a different denomination. He wouldn't call it a denomination, but it is. And he says that the thing that he's getting caught up in is that Christians would say that they're Christians, but they have no changed life. And so it it brought about this whole new theology and and doctrine for him of of thinking that when he is a follower of Christ, he's only a follower of Christ as long as there are works. But understand, you did not work for salvation, and you can't do anything to lose your salvation once you're his. But you are called to a holy calling. And where I see this in Scripture is that many who say they're followers of Jesus Christ, but they're doing nothing for Him, my challenge is to go back and say, hey, are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you just attending church? Are you just reading your Bible? Or are you just praying? It's amazing how we we think that that's enough, that maybe if we attend church long enough that we'll just kind of morph into a Christian. That doesn't happen. You die, and then you rise up in Christ. There has to be death in your life spiritually, and then for you to rise up in Christ as a new creation. And so then you are called to serve Christians. You are called to reach the 12. You are called to speak the gospel. You say, I'm I'm a shy person. How am I going to do that? Look all throughout the word how God used men and women who said, hey, I'm shy. I can't speak. I can't do it. I'm great. That's a good thing that you're shy because now you're going to be able to see the power of God displayed in you. So not only are you saved, but you are called Christian. At the same time, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so if we're to guard the gospel, we need to be together for the gospel and remember that we are saved and called to action. And so this is when Paul says, we are unashamed for the suffering. Which he says, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Why does he suffer? Because he's been called. He's been saved. He's been set apart. He says, so I will suffer these things. We are unashamed to suffer for the truth when we guard the gospel. There's no shame in our suffering. And in this next series, we're going to look at suffering for the gospel. So we're going to spend a few weeks in suffering for the gospel. So I will not belabor this point, but I will let you know that, church, there is suffering in following Jesus Christ. There is pain in following Jesus Christ. And for many, there is even death 
and following Jesus Christ for what they believe in. It's happening today all throughout the world. Paul is suffering and he's challenging Timothy. He's saying, this is why I suffer. But because I'm suffering, do not think that I am ashamed of my message of Jesus Christ that I proclaim. No, 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 no. Because I know whom I have believed. Let me ask you this question. Do you know whom you have believed? Do you know God? Do you trust in Him? No matter where He'll lead you, what He'll ask you to do. You see, for us, we're thinking, oh, Lord, please don't move me to another, another state or, or, or another country. But for Paul, it's saying, hey, man, I'm ready to give my head for you. You see, that's, that's something we have a hard time relating to, church in America. And we say, oh, man, what if, what if somebody laughs at me for following Jesus? Oh, what if somebody cuts your head off for following Jesus? You say, Brian, that makes me feel uncomfortable. That, that's what happened. So maybe we will change our, our shallow, shallow faith and we'll say, you know what? No matter what happens, I will suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. No matter of sickness, no matter of hurt and pain, whatever happens in my life, they'll all turn away from me. I will follow God because I know whom I have believed in. He will never leave me. And listen to this next truth as Paul reminds Timothy. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So as we're guarding the gospel God is guarding what has been entrusted to us. There is hope within us that is being guarded, that will not fade, that will not be stolen away. You say, how do I know if I'm still a follower of Jesus Christ, if I have what's real? Because God is guarding it. It's not placed on you and your abilities. It's on God. And it's His responsibility to guard it until that day when Christ comes and we face judgment before Him. This should bring comfort to you. When we guard the gospel, we are convinced that God will guard what has been entrusted to us. So are you convinced that what has been entrusted to you is guarded and safe? This calling, a holy calling, this salvation, being set apart and being His redeemed people. That God has you in His hand and no one can pluck you out of His hand. That the calling he's placed on your life is firm and secure. Some of you, some young men in here, God's calling you to preach. He's calling you to preach. A bold message. You're sitting here thinking, what's that going to look like? What's salary going to look like? What's living going to look like? Do not focus on that. Focus on the calling. And understand that if he has put this gift within you, he will carry it out as you are faithfully serving him. What has God called you to do? What gifts do you have that you doubt because you look at your own inabilities but focus on the power that is within you? And that's where we move here to when Paul says that we stay the course set before us with the faith and love that are found in Jesus. If we, if we are guarding the gospel, we will stay the course that is set before us in the faith and love that are found in Jesus. Verse 13 Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There's no other way. If you're seeking for another way than what you're hearing, there's no other way. It's through these sound words of what Paul has continued to tell Timothy. And you can read back through the first letter. You can look at this second letter of what he is teaching Timothy. He's saying, man, there's no new way. People are going to try and tell you there's a new way or that more ways can be incorporated into one. He says, no, follow the sound teaching which I have given you, Christ and Christ alone. Paul, in Acts 20, verse 27, when he's talking to the elders in Ephesus, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Do not water down the message. 
so that people will hear it and think, that's a friendly message. I think I want to do that. When you're sharing the gospel with the 12, when you're going out and ministering to people, you share with them that following Christ requires death. Let them know what sin actually does. Let them know that they're not good on their own. Let them know their great need for a Savior and that Jesus is the only way. Don't just be confident in saying, hey, yeah, I believe God, that's good. Counter that. But yeah, you you believe in God, but do you believe in His Son? Because that's where the division comes. Don't water down the message so that we may reach more people. That's not the goal. No, preach the hard message, the gospel. And don't shrink from declaring it. He says we must stay the course, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. And then, by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. If we stay the course, we will stand our ground through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is true, church, that if we rely on ourselves, we will fail, but there is the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us to bring boldness into our lives, that we would not only teach a bold message, but that we would live out a bold message. As we said before, maybe you didn't realize that the Holy Spirit had such an impact on your life, but as Jesus left the disciples, he said, I will give to you a Holy Spirit who will teach you, who will guide you. So he's your teacher, he's your God, he seals you until the day of redemption, and he empowers you to go and do a good work. Are you relying upon the Holy Spirit in your life right now? Because here's what will happen. If you're not replying, uh, 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 relying on the Holy Spirit, you will feel darkness inside of you. You will feel a heavy weight upon you right now. And you're trying to do it on your own strength. And guess what? You're going to fail. So maybe right now it's hard for you to pray. Maybe right now you're not sharing the gospel because you just don't desire to, if we're honest. Maybe you have no desire to share Jesus. You say, but I'm a follower of Jesus. Why do I have no desire? Because it's obvious that you're not being empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a separation between the flesh and the Spirit that lives within us. You cater to the flesh, you'll live in the flesh. You cater to the Spirit, you'll live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, stand your ground by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guard the good deposit which has been entrusted to you, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit, because there will be the power of man around you, but live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we stand our ground, when we guard the gospel, when we guard the good deposit by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will not retreat, but we will advance. Church, now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time to advance the gospel. In high schools, in middle schools, college campuses, in the workplace, in the home, in our communities, wherever we are, advancing the gospel. What are we waiting on? What are you waiting on? You waiting for life to get easier? Waiting for life to slow down? Now, that's not why Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and redeemed your life from the pit. No, is so that he would rule your life and that in all things you would submit to him. And in your busy lives and in your lives that you may feel like are boring and insignificant, you would find your hope in Christ and that you would advance the gospel. 
And here we see those who have fallen away. Verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Are you a Hermogenes? Phygelus? Are you one of these guys? Yeah, they have funny names. Let's just go ahead and get that out there, right? But are you one of these that has turned away? Maybe a leader at one time and now turned away because of fear or shame? Understanding that the gospel costs your life? And you say, hey, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that, man. I signed up for Sunday, Wednesday. Not every day, transform life, Christ ruling my life. I, I, uh-uh, no. I didn't sign up for prison. I didn't sign up for change. All of Asia turning away. When there was a time when there was revival happening in Asia. Acts 19, verse 10. And this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Everyone in Asia hearing the word of the Lord. Not the Asia we have today, much smaller, different place. But everyone hearing the word of the Lord. And now Paul is saying, hey, all have turned aside. Now there's still Timothy. And there's a remnant. But the majority have turned away. Hermogenes, Phygelus, man, they're leading the charge. And now they're, they're putting Paul to shame. But what's a true shame is that they're trying to save their lives here on earth. And there will come a day when they can't guard their lives anymore. And they will pass from this life and they will stand before their judge. They were ashamed of Christ. If they're ashamed of Christ, Christ is ashamed of them. Are you a homogenous, a phygelous? You look good. I mean, you're saying you'll follow it, but in a time of peace. But what about when things change? Do you still praise God? Or do you curse His name? What about when the temperature rises? Are you, are you still faithful to follow Him? Or do you fall away? With saying, but God, this isn't, what, fair? That's what these men did. Then there's Onesiphorus. Good old Onesiphorus, man. He comes through. He searches for Paul. He goes right into the teeth of danger. He finds Paul in Rome in this cell, and he goes to him, and he ministers to him. And you know what? We're not sure that if, if that very act in itself cost him his life. We know that Paul greets Onesiphorus' family in this letter, but he was faithful, and he ministered to Paul. He advanced the gospel. He went forth in a time of turmoil. Will you advance the gospel, or will you retreat like Hermogenes and Phygelus? We come to communion today, and when we take of the bread and of the juice, and when we dip and we eat, we're reminded that Jesus did not retreat. He did not lose. He gave, and He advanced. And in Christ, we have life, and we advance the gospel. We guard the gospel. We hold on to it tightly. So, There is a lot to chew on 
in these verses. But we come to a closing today. And I encourage you, church, that you would take what you have heard today and that you would meditate on it all throughout the week, that you would go back and you would study these passages, these, these verses. I believe we could have split this up into maybe four weeks, but felt today we just bring it together and you hear these, these challenges as we guard the gospel. And here it is again. If we guard the gospel, it means we are together for the gospel because we are saved and called. Which leads us to be unashamed to suffer for the truth because we are convinced that God will guard what has been entrusted to us and we will stay the course set before us with the faith and love that are found in Jesus. Which means we will stand our ground through the power of the Holy Spirit and we will not retreat, but we will advance. May we be a local church that hears the gospel message, loves Jesus, and advances this gospel message to penetrate our culture for God's glory. You're here today, and we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about Jesus Christ and life only being through Him. And you're saying, "I don't have life in Jesus." We're entering into a time of communion, which is a great response to this message, because it's only through Christ that we can guard the gospel. But if you're here today and, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then communion is not your need today. And, and we would ask that you would not take communion today, but that you would ponder this. Who's in control of your life? You? Sin? The corruption of sin? What's the future of your life? Is it worth what you have now holding on to for what it's going to bring later? Separation for all of eternity. Right now you're separated from God. You can have life in Jesus Christ. It comes by repenting of your sin. God, I'm a sinner. I have failed you. I trust in this gospel message. I trust that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. It's, it's, it's taking what's in the heart, what's, what's, what's happening in your heart right now, and confessing it to salvation. It's no magic prayers, no magic formula. It's just repenting, changing your life. But you have to call upon Christ in order to change. So today, repent and follow Jesus. We will have some pastors and counselors standing in the back in, in just a few moments. And we would ask that you would come back. If, if you need to follow Jesus Christ and you want to know more about following Jesus, we, we would love to share with you. We'd love to pray with you. Come back to the back. And we'll be standing on this back wall here. And we have counselors. I'll be back there. We'd love to talk to you about following Jesus. But that's your greatest need right now. Because what we do right here is, is for the church. And it's not that the church is any better than you. But it's because the church has been cleansed by Christ. Made new by Christ. And we understand what this bread and what this cup means. So church, as you come forward to receive communion, make sure that you examine your heart. There's hidden sin within you. Is there's unforgiveness in this room towards someone else? You first go and make that right before you come to receive. That's the accountability of, of breaking bread together. That we look within us to make sure that we are following faithfully what Christ has set before us but that you would come not in an unworthy manner, but un understanding the only way that we can be counted worthy to come receive communion and remember what Christ is because of Christ himself, what he's done for us. Let us remember his body, which is beaten, nailed to a cross, his blood poured out. But he didn't stay on a cross. He rose from the grave. But may we never forget what he did for us on the cross. May it feel like it was only yesterday because we are constantly reminded of the price that Jesus paid for us so that we could have life. So, 
What we will do, I would ask that our men would now come forward. We will serve communion. We will have five men standing up front. And they will have a cup and a basket, and you will come and you'll take a piece of bread and you'll dip into the cup, those who come to receive communion. You come when the Lord so leads you to take communion. We will also have a, a deacon standing in the back foyer. So for those of you that's um, hard for you to stand for a long period of time, you may have some certain disability at this time. Um, it would be easier for you to go to the back foyer. We have someone standing back there with a basket and a cup for you. So we offer that. And so as we come to this time of communion, may we enter into a time of prayer. And I ask that just as you come to receive, I know the middle aisle is, is a famous aisle. Everybody likes to come to the middle. We have quite a crowd today, so I would ask that you would try to fan out a little bit on the far sides. If you will, actually go to the furthest one out to you, okay? But I'd ask that you pray, and when it's time for you to come and receive, that you would come and receive from the Lord's table. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. And Lord, we just ask that now as we come to a time of receiving the bread, this juice, Lord, this wine represented, God, that we would remember your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We can only guard what is true because we are guarded in you through the power of the Holy Spirit through our salvation in Jesus Christ. I ask that now as we look within our hearts, Lord, if there is unconfessed sin, Lord, if there is deep-rooted sin, Lord, if there's unforgiveness in this room, I pray that pride would be put aside and that, Lord, you would work in power among us and that, Lord, there would be true confession, true repentance, true forgiveness. Lord, that we would follow you and be obedient. May this be a time to where your Holy Spirit convicts and draws. We ask for salvation today, Lord. Move in power. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we have been saved and called. May we guard the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.